Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John Ray. I am one of the elders here at Grace Church. I get to facilitate the teaching team and, and occasionally stand up here and teach. And I've been asking people all week as we go through the week, this, this end of Lent, this thing we call Holy Week, and now arriving on Easter Sunday, I've been asking people in various ways, what does resurrection mean to you? It's a, question, it's a question that is not just a hypothetical. It's not something I'm just looking for, for information. I was asking it out of a deep need for the experience that I needed. I have needed to experience resurrection. You see, we, wor- we live in a world that denies death until it is forced upon us. We live in a world that doesn't like to talk about that. A world that seeks to live life by denying death and in the end is so compromised that it can do neither. It can neither understand and embrace the reality of death or fully, truly live. And so how do we experience resurrection right here, right now? In our planning this week, James Covington talked about this part of the Jesus story being the twilight of the world. This part that hangs between what was and what is to come as we look at the text. One world was dying and one was being reborn through the person of Jesus. Is that the world we're living in now though, Grace Church? Are we living in this resurrected life? This resurrected world? Or are we still stuck behind? Or are we somewhere in between? Well, the answer... Ultimately, if we are going to live in the resurrected life, is a supernatural faith. It's a gift that is given, but it's also a gift that has to be practiced. So let's pray today and ask for illumination and encouragement on that. Jesus, look at this crowd. Look at your family that you've gathered together. Every girl and boy, man and woman. From the youngest and the oldest in here, you have gathered us together in your name, the name of the risen Lord Jesus, to experience resurrection, not as a hypothetical, not as a theory, but as a lived experience. And so Jesus, we ask for that now. We know your Holy Spirit is here. We ask that by that power, that Holy Spirit, we would walk out of this room changed people, a changed community by encountering the resurrected Jesus, this morning. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's the story, kids. Jesus came. He was born supernaturally. He lived this incredible life. He showed us how to live. He gave signs and he, and he gave lessons on what it was about, what it was like to live in the world as, as God intended. But because the world was broken, but because the world was corrupt, Because the world had lost its way, he ended up being persecuted, rejected, tried, convicted, and crucified. And his followers, his followers, what must they have thought on that Saturday? After all they had invested, all they had hoped for, the one that they followed was in a tomb sealed with a rock. And then this happened. 
Now on the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women went to the tomb taking the aromatic spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, but they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood beside them in dazzling attire. The women were terribly frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has been raised. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then the women remembered his words. And when they returned to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who, with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed like pure nonsense to them, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. He bent down and he saw only the strips of linen cloth. Then he went home wondering what had happened. Now, if instantly giving a leper baby soft skin, or feeding 5,000 people out of a small basket of fish and chips, or even calming a raging storm by saying, hush now, be still. If those things are hard to believe, if we encounter those stories in the Bible and hard to believe, then we're going to have a seriously hard time with this one. Because this is not just a resuscitation. This is not a Lazarus-type resurrection of someone who is brought back to life, but then again to die later. This is a supernatural revelation, re resurrection. A supernatural resurrection of someone who is dead and who is brought to life to live forever. To never again die. What kind of faith does it take to believe that? Well, I can tell you it takes more than what I've got. It takes, it takes more than just agreeing to it. It takes something more than just choosing to believe or wanting to believe. This faith is a supernatural gift. You see, the disciples didn't get it. As I said earlier, they had invested everything in Jesus. They had followed Jesus for three years. They had watched him perform these miracles. And he had even told them, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen. I mean, black and white. He said, look, things are, things are not going to go well in Jerusalem. <laughs> when we get there, things are not going to go well. As a matter of fact, they're going to convict me. They're going to crucify me. But three days later, I'll rise again. And all through, if you've been with us, Grace Church, we've walked through this whole series of teachings in Luke. Every time Jesus says that, they don't get it. They don't get it. And you know what? It happens. And they still don't get it. Their response 
to the testimony of the women that he had done exactly what he said was, they still did not believe. Because sometimes seeing isn't believing. We like to think that. We like to think in our world that, hey, if, I just, if you just show it to me, I'll believe it. If you just prove it to me on paper, if you just give me the facts, if you just show me evidence, then I'll believe it. That simply isn't true. If anything in our current political discourse, if anything in our span of human history tells us, we often just believe what we want to believe, regardless of the facts. Instead, the Bible presents a very different picture. It talks about believing, and then we see. And that believing is a supernatural gift, because that's ultimately what changed the disciples. They went from cowering in this room, they went from following Jesus and letting him be out front, letting him be the one who encountered the opposition from the Pharisees, letting him be the one who the lepers ran to and the people clung to, to all of a sudden they were out front. And as they chose to believe and as they were given the gift of faith and they walked out in that, as they stepped out in it, they found by their experience that it was true. The same is for us, each and every one of us here. If you're waiting, if you're waiting until it's proven to you to step out in this, or if you're holding on to it as some kind of mental ascent, but living in a very different way, contrary to that, it won't happen. It's not going to happen. The faith that is proclaimed in the Bible and the faith that is required to see is a supernatural faith that involves our action, our volitional stepping into it before we see. People ask me how, how I know, like, like how I know that Jesus is who he says he is and how I live my life by faith. And oftentimes I tell them it's by hindsight. It's not, it's not what I see in the future. I don't have some kind of supernatural prophetic gift where I can see what's going to happen. I have some kind of word that guarantees me things are going to work out exactly like they say they're going to do. I, you may have that. I don't. But time and time again, I can see looking back where my stumbling attempts at obedience where my half-measured but good-intentioned longings were met by Jesus. And then I can look back and see where Jesus has been alive all the time, has been with me all the time with that. This supernatural faith is something that we experience by stepping out in it. It is not certainty. In our society, we mix those up so much. We mix up this idea of certainty and faith, and yet they are, in fact, incompatible. Faith always has an element of doubt in it. Faith always has an element of, well, here we go. 
Faith always has an element because it has to to remain humble. It has to to remain focused on the author and perfecter of our faith and not in our own understanding, not in our own intentions. But it's also something that we have to practice. Eugene Peterson calls it practicing resurrection. Dallas Willard calls it living the resurrection. Paul talks about it constantly. About what it means to live into this, to practice this resurrected life of putting our life into the life of Jesus and letting the life of Jesus enter into our life and then living that forward even when we can't see where it's going to take us. Even when the cost seems insurmountable, unattainable. Even when the task seems impossible. We have to practice this. It's something that doesn't just get dropped on us, even though it is supernatural. It is still something we have to nurture. We have to practice. We have to live into that. And you know what? We cannot do that alone. We've talked a lot about it here at Grace Church, about how we're brought up in a culture that is focused on the individual. It's all about your preferences. It's all about my preferences. It's all about what I need. It's all about me. And yet here is a very real truth. Christianity is a communally practiced faith. It does not work in isolation. Yes, do you have an individual personal encounter with the living God? Absolutely. But that is always nurtured in community. That does not survive outside of the church. The church is the vehicle for the growing of that faith and the moving forward. It is something that we practice, yes, in individual disciplines, but always in the context of community. And the truth is, mundane It's not sexy. It's hard at times. But oftentimes, the areas we grow the most are with the people we like the least. (laughs) Now listen, I love everybody here. I love you all. But I've had ample opportunity to grow over the years as well. And while, yes, it has felt good to be lifted up and encouraged by people who say great things and for whom I have great affection, but where I've really grown, where I've really been forced to practice resurrection, hasn't been with those people. Most of it has been with the people who criticized and opposed and just flat out rubbed me the wrong way. That I would not, other than being in church with them, choose to spend a minute out of my day with them. But practicing resurrection involves that kind of dynamic, that kind of synergy between the people that we love, that we would willingly die for, and the people we wish would just die. 
if we're honest. So we have this supernatural faith, and we have this faith that takes practice, and we have to ask, what does it mean for us as we go forward, as individuals and as a community? Well, for the disciples of Jesus who set the pattern, it meant one thing, that yes, they were still following Jesus, as we are all followers of Jesus, we follow Jesus, but at the same time, we are his ambassadors, individually and as a community. That this supernatural practiced resurrection faith will grow as we step out as ambassadors, as we claim that title, ambassador of Jesus. As we live among ourselves in such a way that brings light to darkness, life to death, healing to sickness, freedom to captivity. That is what we're meant to do as a church. Not show up, dress pretty, pull out our Easter shirt that we wear once a year, and stand up and give a nice, hopefully brief, 20-minute sermon sing a couple songs, buy some cookies at the bake sale, and go home. That's all great. It's necessary. It's not the goal. It's not why we're here. I can tell you that's not why I do it. It's not why Alex, Teresa, Feli, it's not why they do it. It's not why Brian and John and everybody else who serves here does it. We do it because we believe that the church is a colony of life in the land of death that we are a called out and peculiar people, that we are to offer a prophetic witness to the world which is destroying itself apart from the gospel of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's why we do this. And on this day, this Easter day, this is day one. This is the day we celebrate day one because the resurrection is what makes all of that possible. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says the resurrection of Jesus means that at the present time it is shot through with great significance. Acts of justice and mercy, the creation of beauty and the celebration of truth, deeds of love and the creation of communities of kindness and forgiveness these all matter and they matter forever. Take away the resurrection and these things are important for the present but irrelevant for the future and hence not all that important even now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, he said, whoever enters discipleship enters Jesus' death and puts his or her own life into death. This has been so from the beginning. The cross is not the horrible end of a pious, happy life, but stands rather as the beginning of community with Jesus. If you were here last week, I commented that the cross was never designed to change God's mind about us, but was always designed to change our mind about God. Now get that straight. The cross is not about changing God's mind about us. 
It's about changing our mind about God. And if that's true of the cross, then I would equally say the resurrection is there to change our mind about life. What it means, where it goes, what's its purpose. You see, the resurrection stands in direct confrontation with every nihilist, superficial, escapist philosophy that can be offered. The resurrection is the only hope that ultimately sustains. Everything else is entertainment or idolatry or escapism. The resurrection is what changes our mind about what it means to be human. About what it means to be a steward of this planet. About what it means to be created to live in community. Without the resurrection, y'all, we are wasting our time. This is foolishness. The resurrection changes everything about how we view life. And it gives us hope. Is this a supernatural revelation? Yes, absolutely. Is it something that takes intentional practice in deep community? Without a doubt. But you may be sitting here this morning and go, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Because listen, this is not about God pimping your life out. This is not about just adding a little Jesus because you, you need a get out of jail free card, but then hey, you get out of jail, you're all right. You can handle it from now on. It's not about just getting your bacon saved once, twice, maybe three times. But after that, you know, you'll learn your lesson. You'll get your nose clean and be a respectable citizen. I'm sorry if that's Christianity has been sold to you. I've probably sold it at times in my life. That's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. This resurrection is preceded by death. Only something that's dead can be resurrected. The call to follow Christ is a call to die. Die first, then resurrection. We talk about it a lot at Grace Church. The good news has to be really bad news first before it can be good news. The bad news is everything that you've invested your life in, everything that you've set your heart on, everything that you believed apart from Jesus is worthless. It's a dead end. It's a gas chamber. It's a disease unto death. And that's bad news. It was bad news for me because I had invested a whole lot in other things. I spent a whole lot of my energy invested a whole lot of my identity in things other than Jesus. And I'm still tempted to do it. It still calls to me. But the good news is, after death comes resurrection. Comes true life, real life, eternal life. Life with meaning and purpose. Community. And it is eternal in that. So the question, is it worth it? I could tell you, yeah, but I'd 
I'd like you to ask another question. What else is compared to that? Compared to eternal life. Not the airy, fairy stuff that you think about. Clouds and angels and harps. Just forget all that. No more second grade Sunday school religion. But deep truth that contemplates eternal life is offered in Jesus. Set that up against anything else and there is no comparison. No comparison. So the question, is it worth it? Yes. But the alternate question, what else is? Nothing. The resurrection is the ultimate gift to all creation. It is a gift of life, eternal life, deep meaning, true purpose, and the promise of ultimate healing and restoration for us, yes, and for all of creation. Now, this may sound like crazy talk. It may seem like its truth is at times hidden from us. We may demand the evidence of a community that's ever lived it out, and I can't give it to you. I can't give it to you. I can't show you at one time, anywhere in 2,000 years of church history, where the church got it dead right. We're responsible for all kinds of evil as the church We have messed it up just about every way that you can mess it up. And if there's any ways left, I'm sure we'll figure it out soon. But to me, that does not deny its reality. Because I see a continuity in there. Of for every war and inquisition, for every failure, there is yet resurrection that happens. There is yet resurrection that comes. And apart from that promise of resurrection, that practice of resurrection, that living of resurrection, I can find nothing in this world, nothing else in this world worth hoping in. Now, those first apostles, those women, the women who were the first apostles, the women who were the first ones to get it, the women who understood and proclaimed They saw Jesus. They encountered the risen one. I haven't done that. I have not seen the resurrected Jesus in bodily form. I honestly doubt that I will. But I have, we have, the declaration of those who did. This is what Paul said as he wrote the Corinthians. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, that you received on which you stand, by which you are being saved. If you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to five hundred, more than five hundred, the brothers and the sisters at one time. This is our proclamation. This is our hope, and this is our salvation. Christ born, Christ crucified, Christ risen again. Thank you for being here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. 
part of practicing this resurrection is gathering around this table. We invite everyone here to the table of Jesus. There are no gatekeepers at the Lord's table. We are all the same. We are all equally unworthy and equally made worthy by our faith in Jesus, or at least our hope to believe in Jesus. Even if, even if you don't believe, if you just hope to believe in Jesus. His table is set for us. His table is set for you. See, on that last night, when Jesus with His disciples, He took the bread and He broke it. And He said, this is My body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And likewise, He took the cup and He held it up. And He said, drink of it and drink it all. This is a sign of the new covenant. And while, yes, we do that in remembrance, we also do it in faith now that Jesus is present with us. And we do it in anticipation of that day when all things will be resurrected. All those we love will be resurrected. And we will sit at that table in a never-ending feast. So thank you for being here this morning.